I'm Ellie Taylor and welcome to Deal With It, a podcast that boldly addresses some of the most important issues that we so often choose to ignore, why we shouldn't ignore them and what we can do about them. Brought to you by Corsidal Toothpaste. Gum disease affects at least 50% of adults. It can cause bad breath and bleeding gums and, left untreated, can lead to receding gums and eventually tooth loss. And yet we know two-thirds of sufferers ignore this serious problem. Corsidal Toothpaste is here to help. When used twice daily, it's clinically proven to help stop and prevent bleeding gums. So get on with it and deal with it. Today's episode addresses human relationships, which are at the core of all of our lives. According to the Mental Health Foundation, people who are more socially connected to family, friends or the community are happier, physically healthier and live longer with fewer mental health problems than people who are less well connected. Yet we can often forget how important relationships are to our physical and mental well-being. We're going to take a look at the complexities of relationships, how to navigate problems, avoid loneliness and flourish in all of those awkward social situations. And I'm delighted to be joined by best-selling author and Guardian columnist Oliver Berkman, whose writing explores relationships and their impact on our happiness. Hello, Oliver. Hello. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, actually. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you very much. I think this is a really um, interesting topic to talk about because I think so often we focus on romantic relationship. It's the relationship with your partner that is seen as the primary one in your life. But for so many of us, I think friendships obviously play a a massive part. And I always say to my group of girlfriends that I've been pals with since school, um, they're sort of the first loves of my life. Uh, And, you know, when all the guys bugger off, they will remain. <laughs> they will remain the constant in my life. So, why is this need for human connection so important to us? I mean, a big part of it is just evolution, right? We have evolved, I think, over very, very long periods to feel happier and better when we're doing things that are important for our survival and our flourishing. And way back in the prehistoric savannah, it would have been very, very advantageous to you to be able to sort of collaborate with people and to have friends and to spend time with people who could who could sort of protect you and support you. And uh, so that feels great. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's ultimately the same reason why, why sex is fun, right? These things are helpful for the evolutionary imperative and therefore they 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 feel good and seem important it's not useful to be um you know isolated and and so loneliness is a kind of a warning sign and what are the fundamental factors of healthy relationships what makes a good relationship a big part of this is to do with having a kind of connection with somebody that can accommodate negative as well as positive uh, emotions that can accommodate moments when things are not going so well, either in the relationship or in the lives of the individual people in the relationship. You know, something where you've always got to have a smile on your face the whole time, that might be a very successful kind of business interaction or, or something like that. But it, it, it misses something, I think, that we um, that we know is what we want from, exa- for example, a, a friendship. Yeah. So there's that saying, isn't it? If you don't, you need to see me at my worst. If you don't love me at my whatever, then you don't get me at my, you know. <laughs> right, whatever really, that is, it's a good whatever saying. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever that saying was, go and Google the saying, and it's it's spot on. It really is. I would be interested to hear what you think. This annoys me quite a lot. So when people say that their partners are their best friends, what do you think about that? Because I quite often think, well, 
I suppose my husband is technically my best friend, but I have other best friends. You know, I don't need I don't need both. I like to I like to separate stuff. What do you think? This is fascinating. I think kind of two things are true at once that seem like contradictions, but I don't think they are. I think there's something really true in the observation that a lot of people and sort of historians and sociologists have made that we do expect more roles to be fulfilled by our romantic partners today than than mm. than people used to. So so yeah, I think there is something about overburdening a relationship with the expectation that somebody is going to be, you know, your emotional confidant, your lover, your career's advisor, your friend, mm. Mm. your co-child rearer, your um house DIY uh, collaborator, <laughs> you know, the way that we sort of really do end up crowding out roles can be a problem. It can be very difficult. On the other hand, I do think that maybe the, the the truth that people are getting at when they talk about their spouses being their best friends is that I think there does have to be ultimately a kind of all-embracing quality for a, for a romantic relationship to work. I mean, it's what we were just talking about before, right? It's like the thing that's been called by some people like the maximal marriage, the idea that it's like it's you're all in. I think that that is a good thing. And I, and I think, I, I, I hope, <laughs> uh, that it can be combined with, um, you know, not, not sort of demanding too many different roles from another person in, in life, which I think is uh, something to be wary of. Yeah, that reminds me um, uh, of uh, the TED Talk by Esther Perel, who's an incredible uh, counsellor, I suppose. Uh, she talks a lot about, uh, especially like sexual relationships. She um, she speaks about that a lot. And I, this TED Talk that she did, I remember watching it ages ago, and it was the first time exactly sort of saying what you've just said, that um, in the olden days, you would separate roles out. But now, um, so often we look to our romantic partner to be our village uh, and <laughs> having all that pressure on one person, you're sort of bound for failure. Um, and I think that's really interesting, particularly in 2020, when we've had uh, the corona lockdown in the UK. Suddenly, the person, whoever it is that you're stuck with in the house, <laughs> be it your partner or your housemate or your family, suddenly <laughs> they are, yeah. they really are your village. Right, and the rest right. of your friends are all in sort of long distance relationships. It's a strange time for relationships. It's testing. They're either incredibly intense when you're with the person or they've suddenly got very, very far away. What do you, what do you make of it at the moment? I think, yeah, it's been really, really interesting. It's been testing. You know, I think even in, in my uh, house here, we've, it's me and my wife and a, our young son, um, in many ways, lovely to be spending so much time together and we're very privileged in lots of ways. But there is a kind of relay situation that gets set up, right? So that all the time, one of the adults in this house really has to be working or parenting. Yeah, I'm definitely finding that the lockdown has sort of helped me work out the strengths of our relationship. My husband and I, like, we've been a really good team looking after our little girl um, and also juggling working. But then there was a moment the other day when sort of the the, the inner demon in me came out because um, my husband was playing with my little girl in the other room and um, she must have whacked him. And he said, don't hit daddy. And I found myself saying audibly to no one else in the kitchen where I was standing away from them. I said, yeah, hurt him. <laughs> and at that point I thought, oh, I think I need to go for a walk. So <laughs> tensions are definitely rising, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, what would you say uh, is the best sort of way to, to make sure that we maintain relationships when we are um, so obviously physically distant from our nearest and dearest right now? 
Well, I mean, everybody has been getting into video and, you know, conversation and meetups, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that if you enjoy it. But it's obviously, you know, an incredibly important part of um, many people's daily rhythms. There are also, depending on where you are in the world, there is the possibility of sort of um, being at least two meters apart from somebody, but nonetheless uh, sharing your daily walk in the park. I also think, and this is not really something that I can give you a whole ton of uh, research evidence for, but that there is actually something positive about embracing the, the limitations. So there's something about kind of shouting over the fence in the backyard <laughs> to the with the neighbors who we honestly had not really known so much. So those kind of, uh, what I'm trying to get at there is that these are kind of ways of saying, well, what is here in in my actual life that I can do rather than necessarily always trying to sort of recreate the the life that lockdown caused people to have to put to one side it's just a it's just a thought really no that's really interesting I think that's definitely uh, been the case down my road I suppose that's that's my direct community uh, it's really it's really come alive people are coming into their own the whatsapp group is off the hook um someone someone a lovely lady down our own instigated a sunflower growing competition so she cut out um these little bits of paper drew sunflowers on them gave the instructions and sellotaped a little seed on posted yeah. everyone's letterbox and now there's a group uh sunflower competition going which is so sweet there's been so many doorstop uh drops of food going on really middle class which i've enjoyed uh <laughs> i dropped some goat's milk off for my neighbors <laughs> and they in turn it gets better they in turn dropped off um a whole <laughs> Um, canned confit duck that they picked up in France. <laughs> I thought, this is fun. What rations? Yeah. You're going to tell me now that the goat belongs to you and is in your backyard. <laughs> but no, no, no. Okay. No. I'm Margot in the good life. Exactly that. <laughs> I, yeah, that's really interesting. So sort of trying to, I suppose, yeah, rather than focusing on the relationships that you can't have in your in inverted commas normal way, it's building new relationships in the direct area that you are. It's also okay to just feel that this situation sucks. You know, I think that people have felt pressure to make the best of it. And obviously you want the best, but like you don't want that to get to the point where you have to kind of pretend that you can recreate everything that's good. And in fact, I, I wonder if that kind of attitude might help us hold on to some of the benefits and the insights that we get from, uh, have got from this time, you know, that, that, um, that actually there are things we really, really value. I think that's so true that everyone is certainly re-evaluating the key relationships in their lives uh, and how important they are. And I keep thinking, um, as sad as this year has been with people not seeing friends and family and people, you know, grandparents not meeting uh, new babies, you know, face to face, I just think, think of the reunion videos <laughs> and then that will it'll be all worthwhile. I mean, that's going to keep me going for weeks, just yes. sobbing in my bed. Absolutely. Perfect. Yes. No, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking earlier about how 2020 uh, has been difficult for a lot of relationships if you're stuck with the person that you're with. How do you know when is the right time to end a romantic relationship? How do you know if it's just a phase, if you're just in a blip? Or how do you really know if, no, this has gone too far, we need to end this now? I think one thing that's really useful to think about is that you can't really just get away with asking, is, does this make me happy? And is it going to make me even happier? Because happiness is such a weird phenomenon. And there are certain aspects of marriage, for example, that are kind of tough and challenging and kind of work but but they're worth it and you don't want to necessarily just navigate through life on happiness because that might end up actually not making you very happy it would be a very sort of shallow way to go through things 
There's a question that a psychotherapist called James Hollis uh, uses, which I've always found very helpful in life, which is, does the choice that I'm considering making, does it enlarge me or diminish me? And it sounds a little bit kind of vague and mystical, but the clever thing about this question is that I think you almost always know the answer, right? So if you're having certain, if certain things about your relationship really, really test you and really cause you a certain amount of stress, you kind of know whether that's the kind of stress where you're kind of growing as a person as a result of dealing with it, or whether it's kind of shriveling you up from the inside. I think that's one way of telling the difference between like, you know, a relationship that's difficult because human beings are difficult and like an abusive relationship or a manipulative relationship. That is often a much better question to ask yourself than what should I do to guarantee happiness in in life, which is such a sort of slippery concept. And divorce rates are obviously massively high at the moment. Chirpy subject, uh, 42% (laughs) apparently of marriages end in divorce. How do you think you can have a a good breakup or divorce? Is that possible? And how does one go about that? I think I'm talking about a certain kind of mature approach to this. And it may well be that what actually a lot of people need to do in the first months is kind of have an absolute no contact rule, right? I mean, it may be that 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 you that you that you can't you can't sort of step back from your impulses sufficiently uh, for a while to to start talking about the kind of highfalutin things I'm talking about here. But actually, you just need to sort of, you need to make the break uh, really sort of clear and to, and to make sure that the people you're reaching out to for support are your friends and and not the person who you're separating from. But I mean, I just think, you know, there are lots of examples of it working that people can do this. So there's no reason to go into something uh, like that, which is already so traumatizing and upsetting, you know, assuming that it's got to um, be a a bad version of it. Mm. So any discussion about relationships, uh, I think you have to look at the other end of things as well, which is of course, loneliness and social isolation, which are real buzzwords for this year um, because of the social distancing nature that 2020 has meant that loads of us have lived in for a very long time. Um, And the stats on it are quite shocking. So loneliness increases your likelihood of mortality by 26%, which is really quite shocking. What are some ways that we can combat loneliness? Well, so first of all, I think it's really important to understand something about loneliness that does seem to come out of the research, which is that it's, maybe it's obvious in a way, right? It's totally relative to your kind of need for contact. And and if you're the kind of person who's very gregarious, extroverted, needs a lot of social contact in your life, um, you're going to feel lonelier at at an earlier threshold when you don't have that than if you're someone who's uh, more of an introvert and, and sort of doesn't have the same level of appetite for social contact. So the reason that's worth saying is just because it, it, you can sort of see from that, that that if you're prone to loneliness, it isn't something to be ashamed of, like, you, like that you're sort of someone who nobody wants to hang out with. In a weird way, and I know this doesn't make the loneliness go away, but in a weird way, it's actually, um, it's a sign of how important social connection is to you, that you feel its absence in the form of, of loneliness. So I think it's important to sort of, if you can, especially if you're suffering from it, to try to contextualize that because the, otherwise you compound it, right? You, you, you're lonely and you're ashamed of, of being lonely. And that's when you get into this spiral where lonely people aren't seeing enough of other people. Uh, that makes you want to not see any more people because you want to sort of retreat into your 
shameful little self and then you're lonelier and it sort of spirals and and gets worse and then even when you do have an opportunity to make a, a social contact um you you don't take it because you're feeling so bad about yourself so that would be my first message i think um another one that's worth saying is that again with the evolutionary framework on this right we need human contact but you don't necessarily need the human contact that you think you need right you don't if you're if you're feeling lonely and friendless and it's easy to assume that what you need right then is magically an incredibly deep relationship with somebody whereas if you're and i know this from being a sort of writer who stays that works from home for huge swathes of the day right it actually really matters and this is you know has been harder in the period of lockdown but let's talk in general terms it actually really matters to have an interaction or two with like somebody at the post office or um you know to chat over the fence for 30 seconds with a neighbor or something like these things count as social contact and they count in the sense that they can really make a difference to your emotions for the for the day you know um so i think that's important a because it's a reminder that like if you're feeling really isolated don't assume that you need to sort of transform the state of your social circle to deal with that feeling and then just just one more thing there is that you know when when people are given the advice to like you know join societies and join clubs and go out and and uh, get involved in volunteering activities and stuff like that that's really good advice but it's also a reminder that like if you set the standard as i'm going to go to this book club tonight or i'm going to go help out at this you know soup kitchen or something tonight and i'm going to suddenly have a transformed social circle mm. you're just setting yourself up for disappointment it's just those little interactions that can really mean a lot i was well, no what you were saying about um, small interactions really resonates with me when i uh, was on maternity leave and uh, my husband would be working and i would spend obviously hours and hours with my child and it was the interactions that i would have in a local cafe or i just start, i I'm, I still do it now. I chat up new mums big time. <laughs> right. Uh, I've got a, a standard opener, which is I look at the baby and go, oh, that looks fresh. Great line. Um, <laughs> they don't know you that you've used it 10 other times. No, that, right. they laugh. You've got an in. Um, so, yeah, and, and those little those little bits uh, of chat here and there really can lift your mood perhaps more than you would than you would think. Yeah, um, yeah. I think, I think um, loneliness we always sort of assume is – the picture in our head is, you know, the elderly widow sort of Miss Havisham knocking around her home by herself. But it's actually really interesting that so many millennials identify as uh, lonely. Something like a third of millennials report feeling often or always lonely. And I think um, social media certainly has a role to play here. What do you think about that? It's all bound up with social comparison and the sense that everybody's hanging out without you. And not only that, but that they're having a really good time and doing things much in a much more accomplished fashion. And it's so you get this effect whereby um, it, it, it seems like you're missing out on on a lot more than you are, the fear of missing out and everything. So these famous social media phenomena. And it's really important to understand that, like, the structure of social media and the business model of social media just like guarantees this effect right you're never going to be shown a picture through your through your social media feed of what people are actually doing as a sort of representative sample of the people you know you're gonna hear from the ones who are taking photographs at that minute of impressive things or who are having a great time and want to tell you about it or who are you know telling you you know some personal news, like they say on Twitter, which always means like I've got a really cool new job or something like that's that's when you're that's when you're going to hear from those people. So the data is completely 
skewed. There is one sort of weird exception to this I've always noticed, which is that if you're ever on social media on like Saturday night, and I guess at my age, everyone's in on Saturday night and in lockdown, everyone's been in on a Saturday night. But it's always really interesting to me how many people are like watching a given TV show or just tweeting about something. It's like there's a certain if you if you don't look at what people are saying, but you look at the fact that they're apparently sitting on their phones at a time when you might have thought they were out uh, socializing. <laughs> that can be quite uh, reassuring because it turns it turns out that like everybody's in on a, on a Saturday night, uh, uh, which is, you know, oddly, oddly reassuring if you are too and if we move things on to uh the contemporary dating landscape if you if you're new to the online dating scene uh so for instance like i i i'm so annoyed i missed out on (laughs) online dating by about six months if my (laughs) blooming husband hadn't been in that lift that day so annoying um i would love to have a go of it it looks really fun but it's a whole new sort of um it's not new anymore but it seems it to me it's it's a different way of doing things um do you have do's and don'ts? Did you did you do this? No, I very much like you. I feel like I missed it narrowly. Um, although I have to say, I'm really happy about that because all the stories I hear and some of the research I see suggests uh, that it is kind of nightmarish in a way as well. So um, I don't think you should feel so so bad about that. I mean, thanks, Oliver. Thanks for your support. <laughs> I mean, you know, th- th- some of this is well known. It's this idea that. Um, just the sense of having well, t- well, two things. First, firstly, the the nature of the interactions on online are such that that it doesn't kind of some rather useful kind of etiquette doesn't really apply. It's very easy for people to just sort of uh, fall off the face of the earth or, or sort of waste your time and not, uh, uh, you know, never let you know that that they were wasting your time or whatever. Um, it's fairly easy for obnoxious people to be obnoxious but also just this sense that there is a kind of infinite pool that you're swimming in uh is i think is actually quite a problem because i mean you know they always say like you know if if we grew up in on a desert island where there were you know 15 members of the sex that we were interested in dating to choose from like everyone would be totally happily married by the age of uh, 20 i think you know actually not and there were there are lots of problems with the kind of traditional cultures where it does work like that but but the choice thing is a real problem and it doesn't even have to be real choice that's that's the thing that i think is so interesting about this right it doesn't have to be that there's any real chance that the kind of imaginary thousands of incredibly hot people on a given network would ever consider dating like me, right? That's not the point. The point is just that you're constantly second-guessing yourself about whether a, 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 a given relationship is the right one to pursue because you sort of dimly know that there are that there would be vast numbers of, of others to theoretically choose from. And that's really problematic if you're a bit commitment-phobic. And it probably... Uh, causes fairly widespread uh, commitment phobia. And then also this thing about how you sort of, you decide how to present yourself in your profile. And, you know, in the worst case, that just comes down to whether you can like take a good photograph of yourself. But even when it's more than that, even when it's like, you know, here um, you're, you're sort of writing about yourself, I feel like we all have experiences in romance and in friendships that like the things you really, that really draw you to somebody are not the things they would have boasted about about themselves, you know. So um, they may even be sort of flaws by some by some metric. So again, I'm not sure you. It's always that great to be um, making connections on the basis of how someone else chose to present themselves. 
Mm-hmm. I think having, yeah, having the availability of so many potential suitors is marvellous, <laughs> but I think it does open you up to, um, well, having your self-esteem dashed a little bit right. um, by many people, which obviously wouldn't happen if you were just in a bar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how do you think you can protect your self-esteem when you are using apps and you are perhaps being ghosted and there is, you know, booty calls and just the hookup culture? How can you sort of maintain your self-esteem? It comes down weirdly to the other things we've been talking about, which is that if you think of your, you know, self-esteem, if you think of it as a kind of a platform on which certain things, including dating, take place, then it becomes clear that, you know, you're going to want to make sure you attend to your friendships. Maybe it's even spending time with your extended family, whatever it is. You know, you want to be able to feel that um, you're a a multidimensional person and that intrinsically then is going to is going to reduce the sting of something not going right in one domain i think as well you know like you say having people you can go and then gossip and bitch about these things too is probably uh really important and whether you're dating or not i think self-care is really important um just for your own self-esteem so whether you are in lockdown or uh you are out and about just little things that you can do you know sleeping well eating well brushing your teeth, doing all the basic stuff, I think um, will make you happier in the long run. Yeah, I totally agree. So overall, do you think dating apps are worth pursuing? Because they, they seem to cause a lot of, um, it's a lot of admin for one thing. It's a lot of, it's like an extra job. That's what I always <laughs> yeah. hear. Do you think that they have killed the the regular, you know, the old fashioned dating landscape of meeting at a party or meeting uh, in a bar? Do we do we want them in, in our future? I mean, this just applies to almost everything to do with uh, like online living. I think it's um, probably unrealistic to think that you're going to be a participant in modern society and uh, shut yourself off from these things entirely. And yet at the same time, like anything you can do psychologically to not place your entire sense of self-worth on, on, a, on a world that is not structured around your self-worth you know it's structured ultimately around attention and there's even an argument in terms of some dating apps that they have a vested interest in your not getting a successful outcome because if everyone used a dating app and then found someone within an hour and got married and spent the rest of their lives together that would be very bad for um the business model of dating apps you know the other thing i wonder if it might happen as a result of all this quarantine and lockdown stuff is that there will be a kind of a a re valuing in a positive sense of the physical world and face-to-face and what we have missed out on. And then when you add the fact that we've really sort of tested the limits of uh, doing things virtually in the, the months of, uh, of lockdown, I think there could be some return to um, to that stuff. And I think that'd be no bad thing. I mean, I used to love a traffic light party. So why not? I was what, I was what Amber, just to be a little bit mysterious. <laughs> No, we've spoken about all different kinds of relationship. I think one relationship we haven't touched on, which is um, is quite important, is uh, the relationship with yourself, Oliver. Um, so Emma Watson came up with the term self-partnered. Um, what do you think? Uh, what do you think about that term? And do you think there's still a stigma of being a singleton? She certainly, she's, she was repackaged it and she she's owning it well, I think. <laughs> I have to say I kind of rail at that term a bit. Uh, like a lot of people did, because it seems kind of, I don't know. I mean, I don't know, you know, what's going on in her individual case and shouldn't comment. But um, why define being solo in terms of a relationship at all? What's going on there? I'm not too sure. I do think there's probably a, a wisdom 
beneath this, which is in many ways a very old wisdom, isn't it? That you've got to love yourself before you can love other people. That Even that might not be quite true, but that you've got to, you know, it's important to feel at ease with yourself if you, if you can, kind of regardless of whether you then intend to um, get involved in, in relationships with other people. But, but it's an, well, not ancient, but it's an old insight from kind of like, going back to Freud or whatever. I think it actually uh, comes from um, an ancient Chinese proverb from RuPaul, which she says (laughs) at the end of every episode of Drag Race, if you can't love yourself, how the hell you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an amen up in here? Um, And I think, yeah, that's, it's very true. It's the same wisdom. But the thing I want to say about like psychoanalysis and all this stuff has given us about this is that the specific ways it happens, right? If you are out of touch with some part of your own personality, you go looking for it in other people and that's what causes you to think that somebody is totally alluring and then about you know a few months into the relationship you realize that they're their own person and another human Mm -hmm. and they haven't actually like filled this little gap inside you and I think you know understanding that that's not how it works uh is a is a great first step you know that that you do have sort of work to do on yourself and that is worth looking after yourself um and we get a lot of contradictory messages about that right because on the one hand People spend a lot of time sort of beating up on themselves and being made to feel that they're not good enough in our culture. On the other hand, then if you start to sort of take a different approach, you're likely to get kind of feel like you shouldn't be because that's kind of self-absorbed and narcissistic. So I think seeing it as one thing that you have to do in the context of being, you know, a good partner or even a good, you know, son or daughter to your parents or parent to your son or daughter, you know, it's, it's another part of it. And people say like, you know, if we were, if we treated our friends how we treat ourselves a lot of the time, we would be um, just incredibly bad, mean friends. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, I think a lot of people are generally a lot nicer to other people than they, than they are to themselves. Oliver, thank you so much for talking to me today. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. It is a pleasure. I'm delighted to say you're now my new best friend. So enjoy that. (laughs) And that is all for today and all for this series of Deal With It. All three previous episodes are available to listen to now. Subscribe and don't forget to give us a five-star rating because it makes me feel really good and warm inside. And if you don't, I'll have to eat a lot of peanut butter. Uh, You've been listening to Deal With It, brought to you by Corsidal Toothpaste. 